We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Bible today, let's open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and today we're just going to give a few verses here because it's kind of cool the way it's all about prayer. And, um, you know, I know that as Christians, a lot of us don't have victory in our prayer life. And that's why we don't have victory in life. I'm telling you this right now. You know, we live in America, and man, you guys are able to get blessed in one sense. At least you think it's a blessing in so many ways because you've got a lot of stuff, and you've got a house, and you've got a car, and you're able to, whatever it is, man, eat whatever you want, and just a lot of ways. But you know what? I think that there's a lot of Christians, they have all that, but they're not really blessed because their prayer life is not right. If your prayer life is not right, then your life will not be right. And that's why it's important, I think, for us to come to this place now in 1 John and just really ask God. This isn't everything about prayer, but it, there's a few things about prayer that I think if we hold on to, that God can use in our lives to just awaken us. Man, Joy was sharing about the condition of our country and the reason our country is that way is because of the condition of our family. And the reason our families are that way is because of the condition of our lack of true relationship with God. And, you know, I don't know how you guys do in your prayer life. Maybe there's some of you here, the only time you pray is when you eat. And then that's a sad place to be. Maybe you do it when you're falling asleep, and then, you know, there you are, like a two-second prayer, man. I'm telling you this, it should never be a thing where I got to pray, oh, I got to pray. No, you get to pray. You get to talk to God. I mean, why would we not take advantage of an opportunity like that where we can talk with God? I mean, you can talk to anybody, and you don't have to really have a degree in psychology to know that every single relationship, in order for that relationship to be successful, it must have proper communication. I mean, if you're not talking to each other, you don't even have a relationship, but you must know how to talk and when to talk. And, and you know, that's kind of the way it is with, with God in that we can talk. Make sure we talk from the heart, not just you know, fake stuff, not just plastic stuff, not just Christian cliches, but that we pour out our heart to the Lord and, and, and we believe in Him and we know that really this is the key, you know, for our life. And so, man, I pray we would learn uh, things today and I pray that God would encourage you in your prayer life because I know that there is so much more. It was so cool. I was talking to one person after the last service and they were just telling me how they really need the Word of God in their life. How they are a sinner, wretched and wicked and the moment they wake up they feel inclined to go the wrong way and how they appreciate the way that when we can come to church, you know, we don't always hear an easy message but we hear the Word of God and we get challenged. And we get corrected because we need this. Because I'm telling you this, that God has an awesome plan for your life. Things that he wants to do in you and through you. God has a dream. America has a dream. You have a dream. Which one will we follow? And I really believe that prayer is the key. 
And God teaches us about prayer here in his word. Look at verse 14. John says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. You know, it's so beautiful that as a Christian, we can pray confidently, knowing that through Christ we've been forgiven and given access to God. You know, as we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we as Christians can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, do we realize that privilege that we have. We can't do that with our president. We can't just go into his presence or some king over there or a ruler over there, but you and I have access to the one who sits on the throne who rules the whole wide world. We can go to him. And as Christians, we have that confidence. The Greek word translated confidence here speaks of freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech. And so we have this assurance with the Almighty. We have this comfort this confidence and we can converse with our creator you know i don't know how you guys feel every once in a while man i i know like you know there's a person here a person there whatever and you're like man i just really don't feel like i can communicate with them i feel uncomfortable around them i can't really share everything with them but see god it shouldn't be like that with god you got to know that you can come to him and be real you can come to him and pour out your heart you can come and knock on the door and you know he will always be there, not reluctantly opening up that door, but just with joy. Come on in, my son, my, my daughter. See, as Christians, we have this confidence and we pray confidently. And it's a beautiful thing. We're going to see this be really powerful in order for God to move because we know that prayer moves the hand, that moves the world, and we ask things and people change, things change, your heart changes, your situation. It's amazing what happens, right? But here's the thing, and, and John here, he balances it out so beautifully, is that as we pray, we need to pray, yes, confidently, but we also need to pray submissively. And as we find the balance here and how things work, then we will be able to pray more effectively. And I think, I don't know about you, but I know with me, that's what I want. God, I want to make a difference. God, I want you to bless my daughter and my son. God, I want you to bless this ministry. Lord, I pray that, you know, our lives will be spilt and spent for your glory. And the Lord just really reminds me, and unless you're really, really good at praying, you probably won't experience all those things. And so he says, number one, you've got to pray confidently. Number two, you've got to pray submissively. You know, unfortunately, there are some Christians who believe and teach that if we pray by faith without doubting, that we can ask God for anything, and he's bound to obey us to give us whatever we ask for. This is known as the word faith teaching. And, you know, you turn on TBN, you'll see a lot of teachers like that, people like, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Paul Crouch, Benny Hinn, and many others who teach, they teach that we are little gods. And that through our words, we have this creative force, just like God does. According to their theology, which is heresy, you know, they say that you can say, well, I'm a child of God, and I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you believe, then you'll receive. Why? Because they believe they're little gods. 
with this creative force. And so according to them, whatever you do, here's the thing, because your words frame reality, whatever you do, don't confess anything negative. That's what they'll tell you. And so you can be sick, you can have body aches, you know, and you can have mocos dripping down and all that kind of stuff, man. And they'll say, whatever you do, don't say you're sick. Don't say it, right? And there you are. And it's like, I rebuke you, sickness. And you got mocos coming all over down your face. And it's like God's obligated to take it away. No way. That's not the way it works. John here kind of tells us how it works. We pray confidently, yes, but we also balance it out by praying submissively. Again, look what he says in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that we, he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. You see, if it's not according to God's will, then the prayer won't be answered. That's what John says. And when we say answered, I actually mean granted. Because in all reality, God answers all our prayers, right? With either yes, no, or wait. He answers all our prayers. I like what Greg Laurie, I remember what he said one time, it always stuck with me. He said, if the request isn't right, then God says no. If the timing's not right, then God says slow. If I'm not right, then God says grow. But if the request and the timing and I'm all right, it's then that God says, go. See, and everything has to line up because the Lord knows when the right time is for all these things. We have our dreams, our desires, our thrills and our wills, sure. But we need to do our best to make sure that our will is subservient, is prostrated, is abandoned to God's will. When we pray, it's not about getting my will. And it's so sad to see that that's what some people think. No, it's actually more about discovering God's will and then just praying for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus, of course, is our perfect example. If you would, let's go to Luke 22. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to die for our sins. And he teaches us about prayer in verse 39. It says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, and again, you know, the Lord's about to go to the cross, and, and he prays, and, and, and you, you know, we would think, well, the Lord knows everything, and and he does, and the Lord would therefore just, you know, gather strength at this time. And, and yeah, he will, but it's so cool to see the way that he just shares, you know, what's on his heart. And I think he teaches us a lot 
about how to pray. I mean, the human side of Jesus didn't want the physical pain of beatings and scourgings. He did not want his head to be crowned with thorns and his hands and his feet to be nailed to a cross. He did not want that. He, he said, Father, I'd prefer if you took this cup away. I mean, his divine side didn't want the spiritual pain of separation when the sins of the world be placed upon him and he'd be forsaken by his father. We know that when he was there on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus experienced sin and separation from his father. He did not want this. He said to his father, Father, I'd prefer if you took this cup away from me. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, you find that he prayed this three times. But he tagged every single one of his prayers with not my will. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. You see, and, and that's, I think, how we should pray, you guys. We come to God and we share, Lord, you know, if it's your will, I prefer this, but Lord, you tag it with, but when I pray, it's not about me demanding my way. It's not about me, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and rich, and the big house, and all that kind of stuff, because that's how Christians are blessed. No, the material stuff is not always how Christians are, are blessed. Sometimes that's how people are cursed. And the best thing for us is the will of God for our lives. I mean, imagine if the Father had given Jesus what he requested at this point. We would all still be in our sins. The Lord knows what's best. I mean, it's okay to ask, but it, man, make sure you tag it with, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And sometimes you're just amazed, you're blown away. You're like, well, why wouldn't God answer this prayer? And I just got done talking to another person today, and her brother died, and he's so young. Why, why would he die so young? And that sometimes, you know, people, they don't, they don't walk with the Lord sometimes after things happen. But you've got to know that God's got a bigger plan. And so we can trust him when we pray. You know, Paul the Apostle is a good example for us as well. If you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, In verse 1, he says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And so we're going to see that Paul's actually talking about himself. He doesn't know if he was in his body or out of his body, but somehow he was caught up to the third heaven. Now the first heaven is our atmosphere, the second heaven is space, the third heaven is where God lives. And so he was caught up to heaven, it's an amazing thing. So we read in verse 3, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. 
But if I refrain, lest anyone should speak of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And so basically what Paul is saying is that, you know, he was caught up to the third heaven. He's real careful when he talks about this. Because in one sense, what would happen if you were caught up into heaven? If I, let me just put it, ask you guys that way. If you were caught up into heaven, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. You know, and then you come down, you float down, right? And everybody's exalting you. Wow, that guy went to heaven, man. And he saw things. And so what he's going to say now is that because of that, God dealt with him. Look what we read in verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so it's kind of funny the way it works. And, and you know, we would never really be able to figure this out um, unless you got that spiritual insight. But, you know, the Lord said, um, I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh. You don't have to be a, a theologian to realize it was something in his body that was induced demonically. It was something in his body that, you know, he was hurting and, and, and God said, I'm going to give this to you, Paul. You're going to suffer. You're going to be suffering physically. Because what that's going to do is, is that's going to humble you, lest you be exalted above measure by you or anyone else. And so there you are. What do you do when you're physically ill? Well, you pray, right? And that's what we read in verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You know, and you got to know, man, this is not just anybody. This is Paul the Apostle, the man of faith, the man of missions, the man who loved the Lord, who saw the Lord. And he didn't just pray. He pleaded with the Lord. He prayed three times. God, heal me. Heal me. But the Lord, we read here in verse 9, he basically, he said no. He said to me, my my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, God said, no, you're better off with the thorn in the flesh. And I know that's hard, you know, because, and I got to say that because so many of the requests we get are for people to get healed. But you got to know that it doesn't always happen. God can't heal, but he doesn't always choose to. And if he doesn't choose to heal, you got to trust him and know that there are greater purposes involved. You know, God can use an individual like Johnny Erickson Tada, who, after a diving accident, was paralyzed from her neck down. Now she speaks all over the world. Or someone like Nick Vujicic, that Australian gentleman who was born without limbs. Imagine that, born without limbs. But now when Nick speaks about trials, when he speaks about overcoming and being content in a personal relationship with God, even though you don't got a whole lot of things, we listen. Why? Because you know, God knows what's best. I listen. You see, when God answers their prayers with a no, here we see that in their weakness, they then are made strong by God. Because you can be physically sick and spiritually strong and you can be physically strong and spiritually sick and there are a lot of people like that. 
And in all reality, the best thing that would happen to them is if God would rock their world and awaken them. Sometimes that's why things are happening to us, because God wants to bring us to that great awakening, right? God can use these things. You know, here we see it was used by Paul to keep him strong. And, and there's a lesson there, you guys. I remember one pastor who said, there was a time when I hid my weaknesses. Do you guys do that? Do you hide your weaknesses because you don't want anybody to know? He said, but as I grew in the Lord, I began to open up about my weaknesses because it's so hard to hide them. <laughs> and then he said, eventually I came to a point where I boasted in my weaknesses. I boasted in them. And that's really heavy. And the reason he boasted in them is because when I, when I, when I boast in my weaknesses and I acknowledge my weakness, I need God. I need God. You need to know I need God. I need to know I need God. That way when God does things, we know it's not him. It's God. And when we have that place of just humility, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, you know I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able. I'm not worthy. Then it's then that God gets the glory. So God doesn't always give us what we want. Sometimes he allows us to remain visibly weak and then we remember that we need to pray. We need God's strength. And that's kind of the way it is in prayer, you guys. I really want to encourage you to know that as you enter into prayer, John MacArthur said to pray according to God's will is to pray in accord with what he would want, not what we would desire or insist that he do for us. And so back in 1 John chapter 5, I, I, I know that some of you here, you kind of have a fatalist view at that point in which you would say, the, well, then if, if only God's will is done, then, you know, why should I pray? Why bother praying, right? Well, the reason is pretty simple, man. <laughs> it's one thing for God to not answer your prayers. It's worse when you don't even ask, because some prayers, obviously, he will answer. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, Yet you do not have, because you do not ask. And that's where we come to this balance, you guys, as Christians. And we realize in 1 John chapter 5 that we got to pray, you know, not only confidently, but we have to pray submissively. And when we have that beautiful balance of praying according to his will, you know, confidently and submissively, it's then that our prayer life will be effective. We will pray effectively. You know, we need to pray. Philip Brooks said, If man is man and God is God, to live without prayer is not simply an awful thing. It's an infinitely foolish thing. And that's why we have to make sure our prayer life is right. First Thessalonians 5.17 says we need to pray without ceasing. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I mean, it's funny. We have time to do a lot of other things, you know? And I don't want to, you know, be weird, but maybe you're, you know, you're, oh, man, how much TV do we watch? You know? And then, you know, you talk to people, and, you know, guys and girls. Sometimes the guys are catching up to the girls. You know, how long does it take you to get ready? I can kind of tell. No, I'm just joking. I can't really. <laughs> you know, and then but you, okay, you look so beautiful on the outside, but what about, what, what about what God sees? And preparing your heart. 
You know, spending that time on your knees and you go and you get your cup of coffee or whatever it is. You get into the Word and you just talk to God. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a burden. It is a blessing to talk to God. And we need to do that. But when we do this, we need to make sure that we do this confidently and we need to make sure we do this submissively. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Do you believe that? And when you pray, I want to encourage you to do your best to pray according to His will because that will be prayer that will be powerful. And you know, as you go to your prayer closet, you know, here's the way it works for me, you guys. I can pray, and I bet you as parents you can pray, and we pray all the time, God protect my children. God protect my children. And that's okay to pray, you know, that, that no bad demon would touch them or no bad disciple would touch them and that, Lord, that my child would not stub their toe, that all life would go just squeaky clean and just hunky-dory. And that's the way we pray for our kids, man, because we're so afraid of anything happening to them. And I would pray like that. And you guys, it's okay to pray like that. But... Don't you know that when you really discover the will of God, that it's not always the will of God, that that's the way it works out, that, you know, that God, I pray now, God, that my children would love you, that my children would know how much you love them. And sometimes, man, they got to stub their toes. Do you understand that? And then you just, you just pray for the right things. See, we got to pray confidently. We got to pray submissively so that we can pray effectively. I mean, it's some it's funny. Sometimes people, I don't know why, I don't know if it's because they haven't been taught or if it's just because, you know, they're just not in tune with the Holy Spirit, but Lord bless the church or Lord, you know, I pray for the church. What do you pray for the church, you know? Be, be a little bit more specific. God will then begin to move in your life that we would be holy. Lord, that you lead us, that you empower us, that you touch lives. You penetrate hearts with your word and plant it in their heart so they won't sin against you. Build up families. I mean, we got to learn how to pray. You know, I can pray, Lord, give us another building now. You know, we need about 25,000 square feet. And that one over there has plenty of parking. In Jesus' name, you know, I could do that, right? <laughs> but what if, you guys, that's not the perfect place? And what if right now is not the perfect time? And what if, in order for God to bring himself more glory and to reach more people in the end, that God says, hold on a little longer? You know, David waited... Uh, 10 years, Joseph waited 13 years, Abraham waited 25 years, Moses waited 40 years. And in the end, it was worth the wait. In the end, it was glorious. So we got to pray. If you're not praying, then you are playing as a Christian. You are not where God wants you to be. I don't care what you say. Oh, yeah, all my bills are paid. Who cares? I got a really good job. Who cares? I mean, praise God for that, but, you know, for us as a church to be right in the center of his will, impacting the gates of hell, which is what God wants from the church, you know, for us to be used in, in Jesus' hands, we got to have a healthy prayer life. And what a difference it makes 
in the lives of your kids and in this community when we are willing to stand in the gap in such a way. I pray that we would pray. I pray that we would pray with this, you know, heart of praying submissively and praying confidently so that we can pray effectively. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you guys this. Yesterday we lost the first game 33-3. to Sounds like a football game, huh? So one of the brothers, he found out about that. He says, hey, that's just Jeremiah 33-3. Well, dude, you're nice. (laughs) But that is an awesome verse. God says, call to me. Call to me. Call to me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God is waiting for us to pray. God is waiting for us to get on our knees. See, we need to pray confidently, submissively, in order to pray effectively. Our prayer life needs to be prayed obediently, which is what we read next in verse 16. He says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We come now to another difficult passage in 1 John. And, and if you look at it real closely, again, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And so it's hard. Like, you know, what sin leads to death? What sin doesn't? lead to death. And we can talk about different things. Uh, We can talk about how God killed Nadab and Abihu, how God killed Uzzah, how God killed Ananias and Sapphira, right? When they touched the things that were holy, they shouldn't have. And, you know, we can talk about how continuous sin, continual, habitual, insistent, resistant, persistent sin, I've seen it happen. I've seen people die God can kill. There are sins leading to death. And it's not a real easy thing to be able to distinguish. Is it physical death? Is it spiritual death? I believe it's both. But if it's not a sin leading to death, and so I would say, you know, this is an individual who's just having a struggle. Just, you know, and so they say, pray for me. So what do you do? You, you pray for them. You pray for them, right? And And... And God does a work. It's so cool. God gives them life, right? And so we got to pray obediently. And it's cool when we pray for each other. How many of you here today are struggling? And there's things going on in your life. And you haven't asked anybody to pray for you. Why? Because you're ashamed or because, you know, it's our, it's our, our pride or we think that they're going to judge me or condemn me. Or look down on me. And you know, we as a church, we should not be that way. If someone comes up to you and says, Hey, I'm struggling with whatever the case is. You know, they're drinking or they're getting high or they're doing, you know, pornography. I don't know what it is. They're, they're lusting. You know, I thank God when we can open up 
You say, my heart's not right. Pray for me. We should be able to do that as a church and continue to love each other. It's cool when that happens. But here, it's, it's a tough thing in which he says, but there are those times where, where God says, I, I don't want you to pray about it. And it's a, real, it's a real tough place to be, I think, for me to figure out, well, when is that time, Lord? Because, you know, for all the people who don't know you, how can I stop praying for them? Or this individual over here who's in deep sin, it's hard. How would I know to stop praying for them? Because this is sin leading to death. And, and you know, and it's like, how do we know when to stop praying for somebody that like what John is talking about right here? And I read one commentary, he said, you'll never know. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's it. I think that the way it works is that the Lord shows you. The Lord shows you. You know, I know when we read the Bible, there's a, a few times where God says, no, I don't want you to pray. Did you guys know that? There are a few instances in which God would say, hey, stop praying. For example, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. You guys remember that story? Did you guys see Prince of Egypt? You guys saw that? Okay. I don't know if it's in the cartoon, but I do like that cartoon. But anyways, um, you know, the Egyptian army was behind him and the Red Sea was in front of him and Moses was, you know, praying. And God says, you know what, that's enough praying. Get up and go. Because this river, this sea has to divide. And, you know, and there are some people that, you know, there they are and they're praying. They're praying, praying for a job. Oh, God, give me a job. God, give me a job. And God's saying, get out there and look for a one, man. <laughs> Right? I mean, you know, there's times where God says, hey, I don't want you to pray, right? I want you to go and do things, uh, something a little bit more serious, but similar. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And so there's Joshua, and he's praying, and he's on his face. Think about that. And we would think, well, God's impressed with that. And God says, no, I'm not impressed. Get up. Stop praying. And you go deal with the sin in the camp. You see, God will do that. Sometimes we have to listen to him, right? We know that the Lord told Moses, you know what? No, I, I, I want you to go and, and I want you to go forward. No more praying. He told Joshua, Jesus taught something similar in Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and, and, offer, and offer your gift. I mean, all I'm saying is that, and this is real tough, you know, but if there's ever to be a time, if there's ever to be a time where God says, don't pray, it's got to be something very personal that the Lord would show you. You know, go and, and, and do this. Deal with the sin. There you are and you're about to pray. Oh, you're giving this impressive gift to God. And the Lord says, hey, what about you and your compa? You guys aren't right. You need to go and you need to make it right. What's up with that? See, the Lord has those priorities. 
See, we need to make sure that we listen to God's marching orders. Sometimes we need to move. Uh, sometimes we need to trust. Like Paul, we read earlier about the example. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed, and God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. Moses, when you read about Moses, he prayed, God, let me go into the promised land. God said, no. Moses prayed again, Lord, let me go into the promised land. God said, no. Moses prayed again, Lord, let me go into the promised land. You know what the Lord told him? Don't ask me anymore. Stop praying. It was very personal. You know, I remember one of the best DVDs that we have there in the Lending Library. If you guys haven't seen it, I encourage you to get it. It's called My House Shall Be Called a House of Prayer. And it was this guy, Jim Simbola. He's a pastor, real, real beautiful church in Brooklyn. And uh, he was talking about how there was a time in his life when his daughter had gotten away from the Lord. His daughter was addicted to drugs. His daughter was on the streets. And he's always praying for her, of course. Always praying for her. The church was praying for her. Until one day, and I don't know, you know, you got to really know the Lord. The Lord told him, I don't want you to pray for her anymore. And I was thinking about that as, as he shared that. I'm like, man, how in the world can you not pray? For your daughter who's out there addicted to drugs and you don't know where she is. How could you not pray for her? And I guess the only answer is, well, if the Lord tells you, and if you've just set her in God's hands. And sure enough, you know, she came back to the Lord. But sometimes that happens. And sometimes they're, they're sitting that sin and it's leading to death. And they're delivered. Like the Bible does say, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In the end, he might be saved. But there are other times where that individual has crossed the line. And God says, you know what, that's enough. And we read that in Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 16, therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. And that was a time when Judah had drifted so far from God that the judgment could not be averted. And God said later in Jeremiah 15 verse 1 that even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable. Jeremiah 11, verse 14. Jeremiah 14, verse 11. God said, do not pray for these people. And so again, in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Praise God for that intercessory ministry of the saints. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. And that's where God has to come in and really speak to your heart. You see, because all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. And I you know in closing, yeah, I hear you guys. I, I probably would be doing you a disservice if I if I didn't I didn't warn you. There's sin not leading to death, and there's sin leading to death. That's heavy. It's heavy. We pray, we do our part, 
But there you are, and you're right in the middle of it. And just in case, maybe there's someone here today, and maybe you're a Christian, and you're having an affair. You know, those are, those are, those are heavy things. People die from those types of things. Or maybe you're touching the glory, or you're touching the gold. You're touching the girls. I don't know what it is. There you are, and whatever it is, and you're living a double life. You have one foot in the church, one foot in the world. And, and God is just saying that continual, habitual, insistent, resistant, persistent sin, it will kill you. And some say, oh, it can't kill you spiritually. You know what? You read James chapter 5, the last two verses, and you'll, be, you'll, you'll have a different story. Because people walk away from the Lord. And so, man, I pray, you guys, that we would take these things seriously. The Lord would raise us up to be a church uh, that prays the way that we should, that lives the way that we should, and that would bring Him glory and honor. And so, Lord, we thank you for allowing us uh, this time, Lord, to be able to study your word together as a congregation, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would... Everyone here would really just know your love and, and love you back. I pray, Father, for all the Christians here. Many of them may be struggling. Today, meet us there. Thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you are gracious, that you are long-suffering, that you love us. But help us, Lord, to repent to turn from our sins, to trust in you, even as Christians, to have a prayer life that would honor you. Help us to pray, Lord, confidently, submissively, obediently, and effectively. And Lord, I, I just pray, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, They're on their way to hell. But you love them so much that you died for them so that they could go to heaven. I pray, Lord, that they would give you their heart. And I pray that today they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, so much for being a God who is able to do all these things and so much more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.